بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي أما بعد My brothers and sisters in Islam السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته uh, Today inshallah ta'ala we will be discussing the very famous incident of Fatah Mecca the conquest of Mecca and last week we spoke about the Battle of the Trench, Ma'arakat Khandaq. And this took place in the fifth year of the Hijrah. And so in the year uh, following the Battle of the Trench uh, came the famous Treaty of Hudaybiyyah, where Quraysh and the Prophet ﷺ signed a peace treaty that would last for 10 years. And uh, this opened up many doors for the Prophet Sallallahu uh, and the Muslims in able to uh, spread the, the da'wah, to spread the deen of Allah. Uh, they were able to deal with the neighboring tribes. Uh, they uh, dealt with uh, the trouble that the Yahud were causing them. And uh, they also, the Prophet Sallallahu began uh, the front with the Romans in the Battle of Mu'tah. So... By neutralizing Quraysh, he was able to uh, do many things uh, that was khair for Islam and for the Muslims. And that peace treaty, the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah, uh, it also extended to anyone who had an alliance with Quraysh and anyone who was in alliance with the Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This treaty also extended to them. So anyone who was uh, in alliance with the Prophet ﷺ was also protected and no one was allowed to harm them and anyone who was in alliance with Quraysh was protected and no one was to harm them and this was what they agreed upon but in the 8th year of the Hijrah a tribe by the name of Banu Bakr they decided that they wanted to attack another tribe which was the common custom at that time they would always attack one another and there was many tribes that had uh, yeah, ongoing rivalry for many, many years. And one of the tribes that they had an issue with in the past was the tribe of Banu Khuza'a. And so they wanted to attack Banu Khuza'a. Uh, but the problem was that Banu Khuza'a had an alliance with the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Banu Bakr was in alliance with Quraysh. So in order for them to attack Banu Khuza'a, they went and they consulted with Quraysh. They met with the leaders and the elders of Quraysh and they uh, told them what the plan was and not only did they approve, but they also supplied Banu Bakr with weaponry in order to attack Banu Khuza'a. And so this was an automatic breaking of the treaty. They had uh, transgressed what the clauses were in the treaty by helping another tribe against Banu Khuza'a who was in alliance with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and in their mind they said look as long as you attack at night then Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam will not know he will not find out about it because this is how they used to attack other tribes they would attack by night where they would catch them off guard and in that way they would uh, be able to take maximum spoils and cause minimal casualties and it was also known it was international law that they would not harm the women and the children. Now, when they went to attack Banu Khuza'a, Banu Khuza'a was alerted to this. And so all of them were up. And so what took place next was uh, very sad indeed. A massacre ensued where Banu Bakr slaughtered many of the men from Banu Khuza'a, including some of the women and the children. Uh, one of the men, he ran because they were camped uh, very close to the Haram. They were just outside of the Haram. One of the men, he ran uh, and so that he could get inside of the Haram. And once he was inside, uh, Banu uh, Bakr were chasing him. Some of the men from Banu Bakr were chasing him. And he said to them, Fear Allah, for I am now in the Haram. And the man who was chasing him from Banu Bakr, he said, Today there is no God. And he killed him inside of the Haram. And so this was uh, a very uh, tragic night 
for Banu Khuzaa, they lost approximately 20 uh, members of their tribe, and 20 in those days was a large number. It was truly a massacre. Subhanallah. The next morning, uh, Banu Khuzaa sends a delegation to Medina of 40 men. 40 men traveled to Medina in order to meet with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and their chief Amr ibn Salim he wrote a, a very emotional poetry to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam explaining what had happened and a uh, part of the poetry he said that they slaughtered us while some of us were in ruku' and in sujood subhanallah he knew how to get to the heart of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam that while we were worshiping Allah they they set upon us and they slaughtered us while we were in ruku' and in sujood and he went on uh, reminding the messenger of their alliance reminding the messenger that they were related that they had some relation and so uh, the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he responded with two words Two words, that's all the messenger said. He said, Satun you will be helped. You will be helped. Subhanallah. How many cries have we heard today, my brothers and sisters? How many cries have we heard from the Muslims around the world? The Muslims of Burma, the Muslims uh, uh, of, of China. How many cries have we heard from Syria, from Palestine, Kashmir, from all around the Muslim world crying out for the help of the Muslims, for the help of the Muslim armies, for one of the Muslim leaders to stand up, to show some honor, some dignity, and come to their assistance. And yet we see nothing, subhanAllah. Uh, in fact, what we see is that those very people, those leaders are rubbing shoulders with the ones that are causing all of this tragedy in the Muslim world. And so the Prophet you know, we have one narration where he tried to fix what had been broken with Quraysh. He sent them a message and he said that uh, news has reached us of what has happened and two things must be done. Number one, you need to cut off Banu Bakr, cut them off and we will deal with them our way. And number two, you are responsible for these deaths so you must pay the blood money. And you know, to pay the blood money for 20 people, this is a very hefty price. And so Quraysh arrogantly refused. So the Prophet ﷺ began preparations for the conquest of Mecca. For now, all treaties and all agreements had been broken by Quraysh. <clears throat> when all communication between the Prophet ﷺ and Quraysh had failed, uh, and were cut off, Abu Sufyan himself was so desperate and feared the Muslims so much that he himself traveled to Medina in order to meet with the messenger and plea with him in order to open up the negotiations again because the messenger cut them off. And so he travels to Medina by himself and he asks permission to meet with the messenger and when he does, he pleads with the messenger to open up the doors of negotiation again. Let us work something out. Let us do another agreement. Let us uh, sign another pact. The messenger does not reply to him at all. He does not reply to him at all. Subhanallah. Again, look at the stance of this amazing leader, our leader, our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Anyone who harms the believers, we will not entertain discussing with them. And the only thing left is to uh, retaliate for the pain and the sufferings that the Muslims have gone through. And again, contrary to what we see today, those who are slaughtering the Muslims, those countries, whether it be America or Russia or other countries, we see them meeting with Muslim rulers, shaking hands, taking photos, signing agreements, deals, signing deals and agreements, economic trade deals with the very people whose hands are still dripping with the blood of the Muslims. Subhanallah. The Prophet ﷺ does not even speak to Abu Sufyan. Abu Sufyan, he gets so desperate, so he leaves and he starts to look for people to speak to. He finds Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu and he says, Ya Abu Bakr, please intercede on our behalf. Speak to the Messenger ﷺ. Abu Bakr, he says, this is not something I can do. 
Because when the Prophet ﷺ makes a decision, we do not intercede, we do not ask questions. We are a people of sami'na wa ata'na, we hear and we obey, subhanallah. And then he leaves Abu Bakr and he's looking for somebody, he comes across Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. And he says, Ya Umar, please, I beg you, intercede on my behalf uh, to the Prophet When Umar heard this, he laughed so hard. You know, he made a mockery of Abu Sufyan. He said, you want me, you, the enemy of Allah, want me, Umar ibn al-Khattab, to intercede on your behalf to the Prophet Are you serious? Is there something wrong with you? And he made a mockery of Abu Sufyan and told him to go away. Abu Sufyan, he goes and he finds Ali radiallahu anhu. And he says, yeah, Ali. And this is now very humiliating for Abu Sufyan. You know, Abu Sufyan is the greatest leader of Quraysh. You know, all of the great leaders, Abu Lahab, Abu Jahl, even Abu Talib, all of them had passed away. He was the only leader left looking after the, all of the affairs of Quraysh. And look at this humiliation. He is begging people in the streets to intercede in order to renegotiate with the Messenger ﷺ. He comes to Ali and Ali is half his age. So in his eyes, Ali is, very, uh, is, is a youth. He's very young. He says, Ya Ali, please intercede for me. He says, I cannot do this. For when the Messenger makes a decision, we do not go against that decision. Look at, look at, look at how the Muslims were cultured. Look at the shakhsiyya al-Islamiyya, the Islamic personalities that the Sahaba had. The Prophet ﷺ knew how to raise men. He was so desperate that next to Ali was Fatima radiallahu anha and uh, Al-Hasan, the grandson of the Prophet ﷺ. And so he turns to Fatima and he says, Oh daughter of Muhammad, please allow this child Al-Hasan to intercede for me. Allow this child to intercede for us and to reopen negotiations because he knew that the Prophet ﷺ loved Al-Hasan. He said, allow this child to give us protection and we will make him the Sayyid of the Arab. We will make him the master of the Arabs. And again, Fatima, she said, this is not what we do. When the messenger makes a decision, we hear and we obey. And subhanAllah, yani what is he trying to bribe her with? That he's going to make her child the master of the Arabs? When Allah and his messenger have already made uh, Al-Hasan the master of the Ummah. The Prophet ﷺ said, this child of mine is the master of this Ummah. And we know that Al-Hasan and Hussein are the masters of the youth of Jannah. So what can you replace that with? Being a master over a little tribe? Rather, these two youth, Al-Hasan and Hussein, are the Shababi Ahlul Jannah. They are the masters, Sayyidati Shabab Ahlul Jannah. And so uh, Fatima was basically giving him the practical tafsir of the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَةٍ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ وَمَنْ يَعْصِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدَّ اللَّهِ ضَلَالَ مُبِينَ That when Allah and His Messenger, it is not befitting for the believer, male or female, that when Allah and His Messenger have decided on a matter, that they come with their own opinion or that they intercede or that they try to uh, change the decision of Allah and his messenger. Subhanallah. Then Abu Sufyan, he goes to the masjid and he begins to yell frantically, is there not anyone who can help us today? Is there not anyone who will offer us protection? Subhanallah. Look at this humiliation. Look at this, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought uh, such a great leader in the eyes of Quraysh down to this uh, uh, level of humiliation. Before he leaves to go back to Mecca, he goes and he visits his daughter Ramla, the daughter of Abu Sufyan, her name was Ramla, but she was also known as Um Habiba. And Um Habiba is one of the wives of the Prophet So he comes and he knocks on the door and she allows him to enter. Now she hasn't seen him for many, many years. Many years because, you know, when the Muslims migrated to Abyssinia, this was very early on in Mecca, she hadn't seen him from then. And from there, she went from Abyssinia, uh, Abyssinia to Medina. So she hasn't seen her father for many, many years. So he comes in and 
he goes to sit on the mat. She had a mat on the floor. And just before he goes to sit, she moves the mat. She moves the mat, exposing the floor. And Abu Sufyan, he's puzzled. He says to his daughter, Did you move the mat because I am too good for it? Or it is too good for me? Meaning, is it dirty? Is there something wrong with it? And I am of, you know, stature. I, am, I have some honor in your eyes that you don't want me to sit on such a mat. Or is it because you value this mat more than me? And she said, this is where the Prophet ﷺ sleeps. وَأَنْتَ مُشْرِكٌ نَجَسٌ Allahu Akbar. She said, this is where the messenger lays at night and you are a mushrik and you are filthy. Subhanallah. To her own father. Now, Abu Sufyan realizes who he is dealing with. He is dealing with a people who love Allah and his messenger more than anything in this world. Abu Sufyan leaves and he returns back to Mecca and he understands now that there is no hope and it's just a matter of time. The Prophet ﷺ, he makes an announcement that we are uh, preparing now for a large expedition. He tells the companions that every single person that is able must participate, must participate in this battle that we are preparing for but he doesn't tell the Sahabi where. He does not tell the Sahabi where they are going or what the plan is. He wanted to keep this mission top secret. He even asked Allah in dua to keep this mission uh, secret from everybody. Do not allow anybody to hear about this, uh, uh, this plan uh, that the Prophet ﷺ was planning. And subhanAllah, the news started to spread throughout Medina that the Prophet ﷺ is preparing for a huge battle. Uh, and again, as I mentioned, nobody knows where. Not even his closest friend Abu Bakr, his assistant, his right-hand man, not even Abu Bakr knew. SubhanAllah, the man who he never hides any secrets from, he did not tell Abu Bakr, nor did he tell his beloved wife Aisha. SubhanAllah. It is mentioned in Bukhari that Abu Bakr visited his daughter, uh, Aisha, and he, uh, uh, he said to her, have you heard the call of Muhammad to prepare for battle? She said, yes, and I am preparing his things as we speak. And he asked her, so where is he going? She said, wallahi ma adri. I swear by Allah, I do not even know where he's going. So the Prophet kept this uh, top secret. In fact, he went further than that. He sent a small group of men to, uh, uh, on an expedition and their job was to travel up north and to find a camping ground for this large army because the Prophet ﷺ was preparing such a large army they need to send out a small group in order to scout out a safe ground where they could be protected where they could set up camp and they could find some drinking water so he sends them up north keeping in mind that Mecca is down south so the companions start to think and assume that they are going to travel north. And they also assume that maybe we are going to face the Romans because the Prophet ﷺ has already now gone through the Battle of Mu'tah. The Battle of Mu'tah had taken place with the Romans and so the Prophet ﷺ, uh, gave that illusion that they are going to travel north. Uh, everyone joined this army, every muhajir, uh, everybody from the Ansar, uh, participated the army of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam numbered ten thousand, ten thousand, and that consisted of the Muhajirun, the Ansar, and many of the other little tribes that had embraced Islam. And so, uh, just before the army is to leave, they are prepared now. They are about to march forth. The Prophet sallam, he discloses uh, the real destination, and he tells them, "We are heading for Mecca." Subhanallah, and the Sahaba are all surprised. So the, the Muslims left Medina on the 10th of Ramadan in the 8th year of Hijrah. They left on the 10th of Ramadan and they arrived on the outskirts of Mecca on the 19th of Ramadan. And to travel from Medina to Mecca in nine days with an army of 10,000, this is unbelievable. This is a miracle in and of itself. Uh, no army of that caliber 
can travel that quickly, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help is starting to come. So now the Muslims are camped outside of Mecca, uh, approximately 20 kilometers from Mecca, which is not even uh, a, a, a day of travel, half a day of travel. And the Muslims are camped and the Prophet ﷺ tells the Sahaba, you can light your fires. Uh, just quickly before we move on, it is at this point in time in the seerah uh, where the story uh, took place with Abdullah bin Mas'ud when he was climbing the tree and the wind came and almost blew him out of the tree because of his skinny legs and some of the companions were laughing. We all know the story. And the Prophet ﷺ said, what are you laughing at? Are you laughing at the legs of Abdullah bin Mas'ud? They said, yeah, look how skinny they are. He said, wallahi, they are more heavier in the scale with Allah than the mountain of Uhud. You are laughing at a man whose legs are heavier with Allah than the mountain of Uhud. Subhanallah. So the Muslims were camped outside of Mecca. And still, till now, not a single person in Mecca knows that the army of Muhammad is just outside of the city. Not a single person. Allah kept this secret until the last minute. Subhanallah. And he, obviously, as we know, the dua of the messenger, uh, all of his dua are all accepted. Now, Abu Sufyan, along with a couple of the other elders of Quraysh, they would uh, often come out uh, in anticipation that Muhammad is going to attack them. They knew it was just a matter of time. So every couple of nights, they would come out and just scout the area outside of Mecca. And this particular night when they came out, they seen the campfires as far as the eye could see. And they were so shocked to see such a large area uh, of people. And they started to wonder uh, who, this, who these people were. Because uh, not for any moment did they think that this was the army of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Because you need to remember, only a few years ago, only a few years ago, they were the army that numbered 10,000 at Khandaq, as we mentioned last week, and the Muslims were very small in number. So there's no way in their mind that the Muslims could have grown this much, this fast. So, you know, they were discussing, who could this be? One of the elders said, maybe this is such and such tribe coming to help us against Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And Abu Sufyan, he said, no, this is not possible because they do not uh, uh, have such numbers in their tribe, nor do they have the courage to fight, nor do they have the courage to fight with us. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Ibn uh, Abdullah uh, al-Abbas, uh, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, who had just recently become a Muslim, uh, he comes to the Prophet ﷺ and says, Ya Rasulullah, we are now outside of Mecca. We are about to enter tomorrow. Allow me to go to Mecca to maybe discuss with them one last time. Maybe we can save the situation. And you know, the Prophet ﷺ was always a man who would rather... Uh, uh, diplomacy over war and so he said to Al-Abbas go and take my mule with you as a yani, as a sign that you are coming from me so Al-Abbas he takes off and he takes the mule of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and uh, he hears in a distance Abu Sufyan and the other men discussing about who these people were and so uh, Al-Abbas, he yells out, Oh, Abu Sufyan. And Abu Sufyan is shocked because he can hear the voice and he recognizes the voice, but he can't see because it's dark. He says, Oh, Abu Fadl. His name was uh, Abu Fadl. Is that you? He said, Yes, it is me. He said, What are you doing here? Uh, and uh, Al-Abbas, he says, Wayhak, woe to you, uh, Abu Sufyan. This is the army of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And if he conquers you tomorrow, then know that you will be executed. Yani, Al-Abbas went straight for the jugular and told him straight that this here that you are looking at and thinking that it's such and such tribe or such and such tribe coming to help you? No, this is the army of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he has come with an army that you will not be able to face. And if you do not come with me now in order to work something out with the messenger, 
then know that they will conquer Mecca tomorrow and you will not be spared because of all the crimes that you have committed. So Al-Abbas, uh, Abu Sufyan was in panic and he said, yani, what can I do? He said, you come with me and we go and we speak to the messenger. And so he put Abu Sufyan on the mule of the messenger and he covered him up. He covered him up and they began to make their way back through the army. And uh, Al-Abbas is being very careful to navigate his way through the army. And, you know, no one really pays attention. Why? Because number one, it's the uncle of the messenger, Al-Abbas, and that's his mule. So no one really suspects anything. Some of the companions ask, who is that? Because again, it is quite dark. And he said, it is me, Al-Abbas, and I have the mule of the messenger. So they let him pass. And he made his way all the way to the tent of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And nobody detects that Abu Sufyan is on the mule until they pass by Umar ibn al-Khattab. Subhanallah. Nothing passes Umar. You know, a man who had such great awareness, uh, yani he had such awareness to the minute details of everything, this man. Subhanallah. Such an amazing politician. Umar, he looks because he remembers that Al-Abbas left by himself and now he's coming back with somebody. And he looks and he recognizes Abu Sufyan from his eyes. He recognizes the eyes of Abu Sufyan. And so he stands up and he yells out, Abu Sufyan, the enemy of Allah. And now both men are panicking. And Amar, he says, Alhamdulillah that Allah has delivered you to me and there is no covenant between us. Subhanallah. This is Amar. He's saying, Alhamdulillah that Allah brought you to me. And now we know what Amar wants to do. But Al-Abbas, he says, Ya Amar, you cannot touch him because I have offered him protection. And any Muslim who offers someone protection, it is respected. But Amar is not happy. Amar is not happy about this. So he accompanies both men. He picks up his weaponry and he accompanies both men to the tent of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so when they enter, uh, Umar, he says, Ya Rasulullah, here is Abu Sufyan, the enemy of Allah, and there is no covenant between us and him, so allow me to strike his neck, Ya Rasulullah. And Al-Abbas begins to argue with Umar, and you know, it got quite heated, and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he's silent the whole time. And the arguing is going back and forth. They are both reminding each other. Uh, uh, Umar is reminding him of the crimes of Abu Sufyan. And uh, Al-Abbas is trying to save uh, this uh, conversation somehow. Until Al-Abbas, he gets angry, he gets upset. Uh, remember that he is a new Muslim. And he says, be quiet, O Umar. For Wallahi, if he was from Bani, uh, Banu Adi, you would not want to kill him. But because he's from Banu Abdi Manaf, you want to kill him. So uh, Al-Abbas played the tribal card. And when Umar heard this, he just froze. He was so upset. He was so shocked to hear those words from Al-Abbas. He just froze. And his face went red. And he said, careful now, O Abbas, careful. He said, for Wallahi, when you became Muslim, your shahada was more pleasing to me than if my father had embraced Islam were he still alive. Why? Because I know that your Islam is more pleasing to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam than if my father had embraced Islam. Meaning, I live for Allah and his messenger. And what pleases the messenger pleases me. And what angers the messenger angers me. Don't you dare play that tribal card with me. Don't you dare. And you know, Al-Abbas, you can't blame him. He, he hasn't lived in Medina. He doesn't know the real character of, of Umar and how Umar has become after leaving Jahali and coming to Islam. Because as I mentioned, Al-Abbas was still living in Mecca. And so when uh, the Prophet ﷺ sees Umar getting upset, he intervenes and he says, Abbas, take Abu Sufyan back to your tent and come back and see me in the morning. So Al-Abbas, he takes uh, Abu Sufyan back to his tent, 
and all night he is discussing with Abu Sufyan, trying to convince him of Islam, trying to convert him to Islam. And Abu Sufyan, you know, he didn't accept Islam at the hands of Al-Abbas. And maybe in his mind, he was thinking that, you know, I feel like after what I just saw with Amr and the messenger, saw Amr getting upset, that basically they may execute me. That basically I may be executed tomorrow. And if I'm going to die, I want to die on my religion with my pride. And this is how the Arabs were, very proud people. So he didn't accept Islam. And the next morning, uh, Al-Abbas, he brings uh, Abu Sufyan to meet with the messenger. And the messenger, he says, Oh, Abu Sufyan, isn't it about time that you accept La ilaha illallah? When the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam says these words, Abu Sufyan is shocked because he understands what that means. What that means is the Prophet is giving him another chance. Isn't it about time that you embrace Islam? And if you do, we'll let you live. Yani otherwise, we're going to fight against you tomorrow morning. Or it is that morning. And so Abu Sufyan is shocked that the messenger is giving him another chance to embrace his religion. And so Abu Sufyan, he replies and he says, Fidaka Abi wa ummi ya Muhammad. May my mother and father be sacrificed for you, O Muhammad. Ma al-tafaka. Ma akramaka. Ma awsalaka. How generous are you? How gentle are you? How uh, you know, fulfilling are you to the family kin, family kingship? He is so surprised that the Prophet is giving him another opportunity. He said, as for this kalima of la ilaha illallah, if there were any other gods besides Allah, they would have helped us by now. So I do testify, O Muhammad, la ilaha illallah. I do testify that there is no God worthy of worship except Allah. And so the Prophet wasallam, he says, and isn't it also about time, O Abu Sufyan, that you accept me as the messenger of Allah, that you testify that I am the messenger of Allah. And Abu Sufyan, he says, as for this, it still hasn't entered my heart. It still hasn't entered my heart. And when Al-Abbas heard this, you know, he's been defending him this whole time. And he uh, was up all night trying to discuss with him, trying to drill some sense into him, trying to save him and his people. And he fought and argued with Amr over, over you. And now you're not accepting this man as, his, as the messenger. Al-Abbas loses it and he starts to yell at Abu Sufyan saying, you have no choice but to accept him as the messenger. And this is not the way of da'wah, but this was the emotional Al-Abbas who was a new Muslim again. So he basically said, you have no choice, but you have to accept it. And so reluctantly, Abu Sufyan said, وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدُ الرَّسُولُ اللَّهِ And he accepted Islam. Yes, maybe it wasn't uh, uh, completely embraced uh, by his heart, but it was still a shahada. And so now the Prophet وسلم, he is about to come out and address the army to prepare them to march on. You know, Al-Abbas again uh, trying to uh, be diplomatic for everyone involved. He comes to the messenger, he says, Ya Rasulullah, you know, Abu Sufyan, he is the leader of Quraysh and a very well-respected man. Give him something that uh, will retain his honor. You know, he's been humiliated, he's been dragged through the Muslim army and he's come to Medina, he's begging everyone. Give him something that maybe he can have some honor to go back to his people with. So when the Prophet wasallam he comes out and he addresses uh, the army and he basically gives them the rules of engagement and he says, anyone who enters the haram is safe. No one is to touch them. And anyone who is in their homes, no one is to touch them. They are safe. And anyone who enters the home of Abu Sufyan is safe. So he gave him this honor uh, of his house being a sanctuary where people could be safe. Now Muhammad sallallahu begins to march towards Mecca. 
And the Prophet ﷺ tells Al-Abbas, I want you to take Abu Sufyan to the top of this mountain here and let him watch us pass through this valley. The Prophet ﷺ wants Abu Sufyan to see the army of Islam. He wants to put that fear in his heart in order to, number one, strengthen him on his Islam to see how strong the Muslims are and also so that he could go back and make sure that he convinces his people not to pick up arms because this is a force not to be reckoned with. And so Abu Sufyan and Al-Abbas is on top of this mountain and the Muslims now are marching through the valley. And subhanAllah, yani, each, each of the battalions that the Prophet had uh, had a flag and each of, that, each of their flags represented their tribes. And so uh, Abu Sufyan is, is amazed and he's saying, who does this battalion belong to? And Al-Abbas says, this is such and such tribe. And who is this? This is such and such tribe. And he was going through the names of all the tribes that had embraced Islam. And right at the end, a massive contingent came forth. Massive uh, battalion came forth and they had shiny armor. And Abu Sufyan was so amazed. He said, now who does this belong to? He said, this is the contingent of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, which consists of the Muhajirun and the Ansar. So this was the last battalion to leave the campgrounds. And this was the largest of them. And it consisted of the Muhajirun and the Ansar. And so Abu Sufyan, he says to Al-Abbas, he says, Oh Abbas, the kingdom of your nephew has become very great. The kingdom of your nephew has become so great. And Al-Abbas, he says, Woe to you, it is not a kingdom. This is nubuwa. This is prophethood and mercy. Subhanallah. So, my brothers and sisters, look how far the Muslims have come. Only three years earlier, an army of 10,000 laid siege on Medina to annihilate the Muslims. And only five years before that, the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr were hiding in a cave. They, they fled Mecca in order to migrate to Medina with a ransom on their head. And now they are marching forth with a huge army as conquerors of Arabia. Subhanallah. It is now the morning uh, on the 20th of Ramadan. And subhanAllah, yani, uh, it's not coincidence, we, we, we tried to plan this, but today was also the 20th of Ramadan. So we are uh, discussing this topic in light of the anniversary of Fatah Mecca. And so the Prophet wasallam now is marching and is only about an hour away of entering into the city of Mecca. And subhanAllah, the people of Mecca still do not know that the Prophet ﷺ is just outside of the gates. The Allah kept it secret until the last minute. Al-Abbas, he now tells Abu Sufyan, it would be best if you enter the city first in order to warn the people and tell them and make sure that they don't pick up arms because this is an army they will not be able to fight. So Abu Sufyan, he gallops his horse into the city and he begins to yell out uh, at the top of his voice, O people of Quraysh, here is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam about to enter the city and he has brought an army with him that nobody will be able to fight against. And the people start to run like crazy. They start to panic. You know, in their minds, everyone is going to be slaughtered. Why? Because this is how they act. This is how they uh, 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 fight. They have no rules of engagement. And they don't know that the Prophet ﷺ is bound by the Sharia. You know, they are living the laws of the desert. And in the desert, anything goes. And so the people are running frantic. And Abu Sufyan, he starts to yell out, uh, whoever is in the haram will be safe. And whoever stays in their home will be safe. And whoever is in the home of Abu Sufyan will be safe. The Prophet ﷺ, he splits the army up now into three uh, contingents and he put a, a Amir in charge of each one. One of them was Khalid bin Walid, the other one was Az-Zubayr ibn al-Awwam and the third was Abu Ubaidah Amr ibn al-Jarrah. And subhanAllah, look at the, the selection of the messenger. He selected three Qurayshi members and 
this is يعني, part of the mercy of Rasulullah not wanting to humiliate the, the people of Quraysh even further by at least allowing someone from Quraysh to be leading these contingents rather than some foreign man from a foreign tribe. So he even took into consideration the feeling of the people when they would see the leader of that battalion coming through. At least they recognize Khalid. They can recognize Zubayr. They can recognize Abu Ubaidah. These are our relatives. These are our family. Alhamdulillah, maybe this will give them some more comfort in their heart when they see their relatives leading these battalions. Look at, look at the, the way of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so... Uh, as they enter, subhanAllah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he tells the companions, he gives them a very strict order. He says, no one is to fight, nor is anyone to draw their swords. SubhanAllah. No one is to fight. Now, unless, of course, someone attacks you, you can defend yourself. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam wants no fighting, no bloodshed. He wants to conquer Mecca and spill not a single drop of blood. This was the, 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 the care and the love that the Prophet ﷺ had in his heart for all humans. The Prophet ﷺ was sent as a rahmah for all of the people, for all of the worlds, subhanAllah. So he tells them not to draw their swords. And as they enter the city, the Prophet ﷺ, you know this man who is now the victor, he is the conqueror. He is the leader of an amazing army. What does he do? He lowers his head. He bows his head on the back of the camel out of humbleness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he is making dhikr. He is making istighfar. He is making takbirs. And he is reciting uh, Surah Al-Fatah where he was saying, Inna fatahna laka fatham mubina. Verily, we have opened for you a mighty opening. And he is walking through the streets and the people are looking from their windows and they're looking from their doors to see Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, this, this conqueror coming through their city and they are amazed to see his humbleness bowing his head on the camel. His beard was touching the camel's back. Subhanallah. And so the Prophet sallam, he is making his way through. Can you imagine the feeling, my brothers and sisters? Can you imagine the emotions that the, that the Prophet wasallam and the companions were going through? Walking through the streets of their homes, walking through the streets where they were born, where they grew up, their childhood memories, walking through the streets where they were persecuted, where they were tortured, where they were ridiculed, mocked. Can you imagine the emotions, the mixed feelings that they were going through? Now, you know, uh, men who are forced out of their homes now are entering back into their uh, town as victors. Can you imagine the feeling? The Prophet ﷺ, he makes his way all the way until he gets to the Kaaba, And there he begins to do tawaf while he's still on his camel. And every time he passes an idol, he would point at it with his stick. The Prophet ﷺ used to have a staff and he would point at the idol and the idol without touching it would fall on its face and smash on the ground. And he would recite the verse, وَقُلْ جَاءَ الْحَقُّ وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلِ إِنَّ الْبَاطِلَ كَانَ زَهُقَ And say truth has come and falsehood has vanished for falsehood will always be deemed to perish. And every time he would pass by, you know, they had hundreds of idols. Idols that were there for hundreds of years. The messenger is now going around with his own hands, his own blessed hands, and he's smashing them to the ground and reciting this amazing verse. When he does his seven uh, uh, circumambulations around the Kaaba, he asks for the keys of the Kaaba. And the keys are brought to him. And again, with his own hands, he unlocks the doors of the Kaaba and he enters and he finds in there many signs of shirk and he cleans them all up with his own hands. He pulls out all these statues and all of the little things and ornaments that they made uh, uh, for worship and he smashed them all on the ground and he cleaned the Kaaba with his own hands and he prayed two raka'at in there. And then he comes out and he stands at the doors. 
He stands at the doors. Now imagine the scene, my brothers and sisters. Imagine the scenes of the messenger standing up high on the Kaaba doors. The doors are open behind him so people can see what a symbolic moment. And everyone else is beneath him. Everyone else is lower than him on the ground looking up towards him because by now everyone had gathered. You know, the messenger had a special quality about him that when you would look at him just once, when you would look at him just once, your heart would be attached to him. He had some magnetic field that when you would look at him, you would always want to look at him. You would always want to be next to him. So the people that were hiding in their homes as he came past and they looked at him, they wanted to see more. And so they all left their homes and they came out to the Kaaba to see this man, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And now he is standing up there above all of them on the steps of the Kaaba with the doors open behind him. And he begins to address them. And the first words he says, the first line he says is the line he used in Khandaq when all of the enemies ran away. He started by saying, La ilaha illallahu wahda sadaqa wa'da wa nasara abda wa a'azza jundahu wa hazama al-ahzaba wahda. There is no God but Allah alone who was truthful to his promise, gave victory to his servant, honored his soldiers and destroyed all of the enemies alone. He, Allah, destroyed them alone. And then he said, O people, know that every single matter of jahiliyyah is now abolished. Allahu Akbar. This leader, this statesman, he is telling them that the system of jahiliyyah, which you have all lived your lives according to for, for centuries, today it is abolished. Nothing will remain of it. He continues and he says, And verily, Allah has abolished all privileges of pride of ancestry. All privileges and pride of ancestry. For all of you are from Adam, and Adam is from dust. He is telling them, This class system that you have, where you know the, the Quraysh were the highest and everyone else was below, uh, this class system today is abolished. All of you are from Adam and Adam was made of mud, of, of dust. And the best of you in the eyes of Allah is the one with taqwa. And so in the first line, he is basically telling them that the old way, the old system of life, the laws, the constitution, all gone, scrapped out the door. And the second line, he has abolished now the class system which they have built amongst them. Subhanallah, there was no tadarruj in the approach of the messenger. This gradualism, shway shway, slowly slowly, law by law, let us not do everything radical. No, from day one, the messenger made a radical change and implemented Islam from day one. Yes, some specific laws may come down dealing with certain issues as they unfold. But this does not mean tadarruj at all. This does not mean gradualism at all. No, from day one, everyone understood that the governing system that we must accept now is qala Allah wa qala Rasul. Whatever Allah says and whatever the messenger say, at whatever stage they say it. So from day one, it is qala Allah wa qala Rasul. It is la ilaha illallah from day one. Allah and his messenger didn't give them a chance to slowly ease their way out of kufr and shirk. From day one, he abolished everything and destroyed every single idol with his own hands. Over 360 idols the messenger destroyed with his own hands. Subhanallah. So for us, my brothers and sisters, it is not a tribal system that we accept nor is it a secular democratic system that we accept. We accept nothing but pure Islam and we keep working until we are able to establish it in a radical manner. This is when the messenger turns his attention now to the people and he starts to address the people and he starts to ask them. He says, what do you think I shall do with you today? After everything you have done to me, after everything you have done to my companions, after you mocked Allah and His Messenger and you persecuted us. Now, of course, he did not say that. But by the question, they understood. They understood that after everything, what do you think I'm going to do with you today? And the people, they replied and they said, we only expect khair from you. We only expect good from you. 
For you are a Kareem and you are the son of a Kareem. You are a generous man. We've always known you to be good, kind, soft, generous, merciful. And your father was the same. Abdullah was the same. Subhanallah, the 13 years of da'wah in Mecca, the people really understood his message. But because he did not have the power, they did not accept. Now they are starting to see that because he has the power, they are starting to admit that you were always a good man. You were always a truthful man. You were always a generous Kareem. And you are the son of a Kareem. The Prophet ﷺ, he says his famous statement and he says, Go, you are all free. And the Prophet ﷺ didn't punish them. He forgave all of them and he let them go. Subhanallah. The Prophet ﷺ, he then does something amazing. He does something beautiful. He calls for Bilal. He calls for Bilal, his Mu'adhan. And Bilal comes and he says, Oh Bilal, climb up the Kaaba now and call the people to pray. Make the Adhan, O Bilal. Subhanallah. So this uh, Bilal, in their eyes, a black Abyssinian slave who, you know, again, the lowest in society for them, in their eyes, in the eyes of Quraysh, a black man climbing the Kaaba, what humiliation. But this is the practical man manifestation of the ayah, inna akramakum indallahi atqaqum, the most noble, the most righteous, the most, uh, 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 yani, uh, blessed of you in the eyes of Allah and the highest of you in the eyes of Allah is the one with taqwa. And so Bilal is now climbing the Kaaba. And he begins to call the people to prayer and his voice is echoing through the streets of Mecca. Subhanallah again. What an amazing, uh, what an amazing moment. You know, this man, Bilal radiallahu anhu, yani, it wasn't long ago that he was a man whose voice used to echo through the streets of Mecca out of torture, out of being humiliated by Umayyah bin Khalaf dragging him through the streets and he would be yelling out Ahadun Ahad being tortured his voice used to echo through the streets and now his voice is echoing through the streets but with Azza with, with honor calling the people to pray look at how Allah has changed has turned the table subhanallah Abu Sufyan was standing with a few of the elders of Quraysh including Al-Harith ibn Umayyah, the son of Umayyah ibn Khalaf, who used to own Bilal. And they were so uh, uh, devastated at this sight. And one of them commented, I am so pleased that my father is not alive to see this humiliation. I am so pleased that my father is dead and did not see this humiliation that we are going through, that a black man is climbing the Kaaba and calling us to pray. And they came to Abu Sufyan I said, what do you think of this matter, o Abu Sufyan? Abu Sufyan said, I will not comment about this whatsoever because you see those pebbles on the ground? Wallahi, they will go and tell Muhammad what we said. Subhanallah. He's telling them, are you stupid? These pebbles will inform Muhammad. Don't you realize that this man receives revelation? Don't you realize? And subhanallah, yani, the Prophet he comes down now from the steps of the Kaaba and he starts to make his way to the mountain of Safa. And along his way, who did he pass by? He passed by Abu Sufyan and those men and he stopped and he said, you said such and such and you said such and such. SubhanAllah, they were shocked because no one was there except for those three. And they said no one was there to hear this conversation. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadur Rasulullah. Abu Sufyan, he knew that the pebbles were going to tell the uh, Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, and they embraced Islam. The other men that were with Abu Sufyan. So now the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he goes and he sits on the mountain of Safa, and the people come in droves and they start to line up in order to pronounce the Islam and to give the messenger the bay'ah. Subhanallah, again, what an amazing and a symbolic moment. For just 18 years earlier, the messenger was standing on the same mountain calling the people to Islam. And when Abu Lahab made a mockery of, of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, everyone started to walk away from him and they ignored his message. Now he's on the same mountain and everyone is rushing to come to him, not to listen, but to embrace Islam and to give him the bay'ah. 
and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam took the bay'ah from every single person. Uh, he started with the men, and then the women came after them uh, and gave their bay'ah. And then right at the end, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam saw Abu Bakr as-Siddiq coming in the distance with a very old man. Yani he was. Uh, struggling to walk, very old man. And it was said that this man was the oldest man in Mecca. You know, he was of the generation of Abu Talib. And so he was one of the last remaining survivors of that generation, one of the oldest men of Mecca. And it was the father of Abu Bakr, Abu Qahafa. Abu Bakr was bringing him. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, oh, 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 Abu Bakr, why are you bringing the Sheikh to us? It is more befitting for us to go to him. Look at the respect that the messenger is giving, not only to Abu Qahafa, but to his friend Abu Bakr. He's giving the respect to Abu Bakr, saying you didn't have to bring him. I would have been happy to come to him. And Abu Bakr, he said, no, Ya Rasulullah, it is more befitting for him to come to you. Again, Abu Bakr loves the messenger so much. He says, no, 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 no. He will come to you. No worry, even if I have to carry him on my back. We will come to you, Ya Rasulullah. And Abu Qahafa, he gives a pledge of allegiance to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he becomes Muslim. And when this happens, Abu Bakr, he begins to cry. And the, the Prophet Sallallahu he says, why are you crying, Ya Abu Bakr, aren't you happy? He said, yes, I am happy, but I would have rather have seen the hand of Abu Talib in your hand right now than to see the hand of my father, O Rasulullah. Again, subhanAllah, the same response as Amr, that we love you, Ya Rasulullah, so much that your happiness means more to us than our own happiness. Had your uncle embraced Islam, this would have been more pleasing to me than my own father. Why? Because I know it's more pleasing to you if Abu Talib had embraced Islam. Subhanallah. And so my brothers and sisters in Islam, when he was standing on that mountain, taking the Pledge of Allegiance from all these people, thousands of people, this was... What Surat Al-Nasr was talking about, was referring to where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا When the opening of Mecca, the victory comes, and you find people entering in droves, lining up, waiting to give you their hands. This was the incident that the Prophet ﷺ lived. Now, uh, after this, the Prophet ﷺ remained in Mecca for a few more days. You know, he was there for about two, two and a half weeks. And the Prophet ﷺ used to love doing tawaf. So he would do tawaf every day. One particular day that he was doing tawaf, there was one evil man who wasn't happy about this situation at all. That Muhammad has come and he has taken over. And this is, yani he was so angry, he decided, I am going to assassinate the messenger. Not a single man from amongst us stood up to him. I will stand up to him and I will assassinate him. So he took his dagger and he hid it in his uh, cloak. His name was uh, Fudala and he went and he started to do tawaf and he was getting closer and closer to the messenger. And you know the messenger, he doesn't have bodyguards. He has Allah to protect him. Not like today, none of the leaders of the Muslim world can go anywhere without a, a, a huge army protecting them. The Prophet ﷺ is doing tawaf and uh, uh, he gets right behind the messenger. And just as he has a clear access to the messenger, he puts his hand on the dagger, and just as he's about to pull it out, the messenger turns around and looks at him. And he says, are you Fudala? And Fudala is shocked. He says, yes. The Prophet is smiling. And he says, and what were you about to do? What were you planning on doing? He says, nothing. I was just doing tawaf. The Prophet ﷺ, he laughs and he places his hand on the chest of Fudala and he says, never mind, never mind. He said, when the messenger put his hand on my chest, the messenger became more beloved to me than anything in this world. Subhanallah. Look at all the assassination attempts on the messenger. They all ended up converting to Islam and loving the messenger more than anything in this world. Such is the, 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 the character and the akhlaq and the, 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 you know, the way of the Muhammad that you would just fall in love with him. You would just fall in love with him. The Prophet put his hand on his chest and immediately 
he forgot everything and he loved Muhammad and became one of the uh, uh, great Muslims. There are many more beautiful stories that came out of Fatah Mecca and uh, many amazing conversions, uh, my brothers and sisters. Uh, but time does not permit us to go through all of them. And again, there are many fiqhi lessons, lessons in jurisprudence that came out from just these two to three weeks that the Prophet was in Mecca. However, I want to mention one final story before we wrap this up. And that is when the Ansar saw the messenger with all of his people from Mecca, his relatives, you know, coming to him, giving him pledge of allegiance, accepting Islam. The messenger was so happy to see all of this. So the Ansar started to talk among themselves and they started to say, uh, we think that the messenger is not going to come back. Now that he is back with his people, back home, he's not going to come back with us. Yani, they were a bit upset about that. And subhanAllah, look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved the Ansar so much and respected them so much that he immediately sent Jibreel to the messenger to inform him on what they were saying immediately because uh, the Prophet ﷺ, he cared so much about the Ansar and what they thought so Jibreel immediately informed the Prophet ﷺ what they were saying so the Prophet ﷺ stopped everything he was doing and he went quickly and met with the Ansar and he brought them together and he said to them is this true that you are saying such and such? Now I want you to, to just think about this question from the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Who is the one that informed the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? It is Jibreel. Jibreel is the one who is coming from Allah to tell the Messenger that the Ansar are saying such and such. Meaning there is no way that there could be any uh, uh, incorrectness or any, any false uh, uh, news, it cannot be uh, uh, rumors, this is, this is direct news from Allah yet he still asked them are you saying these things? SubhanAllah, before he accused them, he gave them the right to uh, admit to what they were saying, this is the akhlaq of Muhammad SallAllahu today we are very quick to point the finger and accuse others with or without uh, evidence, with or without evidence, we are very quick to accuse and point the finger. May Allah forgive us. But the Prophet ﷺ is asking them, even though he knows that they said that because he believes Jibreel and Jibreel is coming from Allah, but he gives them the opportunity. Is this true that you are saying this? They said, yes, it is true that we have said this. And the Prophet ﷺ, he says, do you not know who I am? Like, don't you know me by now? I am the slave of Allah and His Messenger. You should know me by now. He said, I made hijrah for Allah's sake and I made hijrah to you. And my life and my death is with you. My life and my death is with you. Because you know, at the uh, pledge of Al-Aqaba, one of the questions the Ansar had was, when you get the victory, are you going to leave us? And the Prophet ﷺ said, no, I am from you and you are from me. We are family now. We are one. We will stick together forever. So the Prophet ﷺ is saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I stick to everything I say? I honor everything I say. I was there at Al-Aqaba. I made you this agreement. I accepted that you are part of me and I am part of you. So today I am telling you, my life and my death is with you to the end. The Ansar all started crying and they started to ask the messenger to forgive uh, them for this. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, uh, we only said this out of love of Allah and his messenger and wanting you to stay with us. We only said that because we love you so much and we want you to stay with us. The Prophet ﷺ said that uh, Allah and his messenger believe you. Allah and his messenger believe you. And so this was... Uh, truly an amazing story. And then the Prophet ﷺ, after he takes care of all of the affairs in Mecca and he puts a governor in charge to take care of Mecca, he returns with the Ansar to Medina where he is now going to run the affairs of all of the believers from Medina. Subhanallah, my brothers and sisters in Islam, whoever is fortunate enough today 
to perform the Hajj and the Umrah will testify that although Mecca has more rewards when you pray there, but the hearts always are attached to Medina. Why? Because of the dua of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when they first migrated, he said, Ya Allah, make this place Medina, make it more beloved to us than our old home, which was Mecca. And so that dua till now, when you go there, everyone loves Medina, everyone loves to be in Medina. And subhanAllah, every single person wants to try to pray in the Rawda. Uh, but do we really uh, understand the significance of the Rawda? You know, just a quick side point. Yes, the Rawda is, as the Messenger said, a garden from the gardens of paradise. But why is it such an important place? between the house of the messenger and the member. Because this is the original mosque of the messenger. And this is the original masjid. And from this place, the messenger ruled. And the Khulafa al-Rashidin ruled most of the known world. Most of the known world was ruled and taken care of. And the da'wah of Islam was spread. And the justice and the mercy of Islam was implemented from this very place. So next time you are there praying on that green carpet, it is not only because it is a garden from the gardens of paradise, but it is the place where history was made. And the Prophet and the Khulafa al-Rashidin after that were sending armies in order to propagate and implement Islam. And Fatah Mecca was very symbolic because Allah sent the messenger to clean, cleanse the earth, to cleanse the earth of shirk and kufr and what a place to start, which was Mecca, the place in which Ibrahim built this Kaaba in order for the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the messenger, he cleansed the Kaaba and all of the Arabian Peninsula. And from there he went out to Rome, Persia, Abyssinia and all of the world until Islam dominated most of its parts. So my brothers and sisters in Islam, we really need to reflect on these stories of the seerah and see where we have gone wrong today and what is lacking from us in order for us to get back to the izzah and the honor that we once enjoyed and work for this deen as the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba worked. أَقُولُوا مَا تَسْمَعُونَ وَأَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهَ لِي وَلَكُمْ فَاسْتَغْفِرُوهُ إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُ